Well, a South Bay College student says the FBI spied on him, and he found the GPS tracker to prove it. He wondered what it was. Then a visit from a federal agent answered that question. Did you see the pictures? Yes. What was your reaction when you saw them? It was him. Claims from American military officials, whereby they simply call everybody they kill militants. Basically, the definition of a militant at this point is someone that the United States kills in a drone attack. The FBI and other police stopped him as he left his Santa Clara apartment complex, and a federal agent started questioning him. Have you ever been to Yemen for any type of training? No. Uh, do you know anybody that's affiliated with anybody that's extreme or abnormal or posting anything online that they shouldn't be? No. And then he goes, well, wh where's the device that you located under your vehicle? Why haven't you released them? You know, um... Um, but the real reason it doesn't get much attention from the American political or media class is because we don't really care. Uh, keep in mind that we are absolutely certain this was him. We've done DNA, uh, uh sampling, uh, and testing, uh... And, and so there is no doubt that we killed uh, Osama bin Laden. I mean, I work at a big corporate conglomerate controlled media outlet. And then I didn't even answer that. I just asked him, did you guys put it there? And then he goes, yeah. An FBI spokesperson refused to discuss Afifi's discovery. I got pulled in. He said, I was just in Washington. And people in Washington tell me that they're concerned about your tone. I was like, whoa. We don't keep track of our victims. We don't um, talk very much about the cost of the lives that we extinguish through our military attacks. We simply don't care. We care about the cost to us. We care about the, the financial cost. And I, I'm naively thinking, what does he mean? Did he talk to his friend Bob in Washington? <laughs> Why would you say people in Washington if you meant, oh, yeah, I was talking to my buddy down at the shop about you. It just happened to be that he was a person in Washington. You wouldn't frame it that way, right? My concern is that we... Most of us are winding up working for big conglomerates that have vested interest in government policy, and that brings about a kind of self-censorship. He said, I'd love to be an outsider. Outsiders are cool. But we're not. We're insiders. We are the establishment. And I just kind of sat back. I was like, wow, this is it. This is the speech. What happens to democracy when the political class becomes frightened of and in league with these in incredibly powerful uh, media conglomerates? In reality, the death of foreigners whom the American military kills has never been something prominently featured in political discourse in the United States. Let me tell you something else that's really important. It's the perks. And it's funny because I said the same thing before I went in. God, they give you car rides to the airport, they give you fancy hotels. You know that it, when you fly business class, not only do you get warm chocolate chip cookies, but your bags come out first. I mean, I work at a big corporate conglomerate controlled media outlet. And that's how they suck you in. As a general principle, I don't mean MSNBC in particular. I served time at CBS yeah. News, enjoyed it for seven years and all. I was here at, NBC, at MSNBC for the launch of it 15 yeah. years ago. I worked at NBC. But I, I saw in every one of those environments the 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 growth of the shadow of self-censorship. If I take the money and I get a reduced role and I just, you know, do whatever I do with it, and maybe I even rise up in the ranks again, what's the point, man? The this morning, there is an uproar in a suburban Philadelphia school district over privacy and security. School officials are accused of using webcams to find out what their students are doing at home. So I click and there's an observe button and it brings up their screen. Photo booth is always fun. Oh. 
a lot of kids are just on it to check their hair, do their makeup to girls, you know. They're disgusted by accusations in a federal lawsuit claiming school administrators used that device to spy on a student in the privacy of his own home. They don't even realize that we are watching. Prosecutors in New Jersey say they are examining the motives of whomever hid the camera in the room of Rutgers University student Tyler Clemente. He committed suicide after a video was screened online showing him having sex with a man. He's got a few things going on here. He's got the photo booth program open. He's got his social studies project open, school email open. But in court papers filed Wednesday, they claim a school official activated the webcam last year for a different purpose, suspecting the Harriton High School sophomore was engaged in improper behavior at home. He was later confronted with a photograph allegedly taken as evidence. I always like to mess with them and take a picture. <laughs> Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is your host, Abigail Martin. This is your co-host, Robbie Martin. So I'm sure by now everyone's heard about the, the terrorist attacks in Oslo, Norway, and how the media constructed a widely false narrative at the onset of the attacks when no one really knew who was the perpetrator, saying, just blaming it on Al-Qaeda and Islamic fundamentalism. It was really fascinating to see that un unfolding before our eyes. Our old friend, good old Al-Qaeda. Good old Al-Qaeda. The mythical, uh, you know, tentacle force that's penetrated all over the world with sleeper cells. Um, of course they're responsible for the terrorist attacks in Norway. There's no independent terrorism going on. And if there is, then of course it was inspired by Al-Qaeda. Yeah, which was the narrative the media quickly took. You know, the... Glenn Greenwald does an excellent analysis of what happened. I mean, first he talks about how, um, you know, it wasn't so-called Al-Qaeda, which um, is completely mythological uh, by the way the media represents them in the first place. Um, and then he talks about how after it was found out that it was a Christian fundamentalist um, guy, apparently, who did it. I mean, we don't really know, you know, the full details of this. Um, you know, a lot of people are saying it's a false flag. Um, I don't really know. I mean... Yeah, we don't know if he had accomplices. There's no... I mean, we haven't really found out the, the scoop on what really happened. All we know is that some psychotic individual dressed like a police officer, you know, first bombed a federal building and then went to an island and killed like 81 children. It's just so terrifying. Can you imagine being on that island at like a summer camp and seeing a cop come up to you and being like, come on kids, like gather around. That's what he did. I just can't believe that someone could kill that many people. Yeah, it's pretty At once. shocking. It's and they're all children, which is just so disgraceful. It's really, really sick. But yeah, Murdoch is such an asshole. He printed, without even validating who this man was, what the ideology was, or the, the intent behind the attack, the son, Murdoch's news, one of Murdoch's papers, just irresponsibly printed, not even reported. I know a lot of other news agencies were reporting or kind of um, alluding to the fact that it was Al-Qaeda and Islamic terrorism, but... 
but the sun actually printed that this was norway's 9-11 and that there was an al-qaeda massacre on their homepage, and i'll link to that photo but it's it's just like come on man i mean are you that desperate for ratings that you just want to like print the most like sensationalist garbage you can without validating a single thing about it pretty much i mean that's how <laughs> the media's mo you know has been for as long as i've been paying attention to it um, especially after 9-11 this this is perfect um terrorist attacks so-called terrorist attacks i hate using the word terrorism in mm-hmm. general because it's such a meaningless right. word you know i sometimes think about when does someone become a terrorist is it when an iraqi um you know 12 year old iraqi boy's parents are murdered in front of him is that when he becomes terrorist or is it when he picks up a gun and decides to shoot back an american soldiers or just you know shot at his family i i don't it's it's you know it's very ambiguous you know and it seems like they stopped using the word terrorism as soon as they found out that he wasn't arab or muslim yeah it's funny how it's it changes the narrative changes when you find out that this guy was supposedly a christian fundamentalist it's just like that doesn't fit tightly into the into the war on terror. So it doesn't fit tightly into like the old school version of the war on terror, but like that's slowly evolving into just mean you know anybody you know. Yeah, now it actually it does fit into the yeah, like you said, it's the new school uh, ideology now that now we need to focus on homegrown terrorism. This is like a perfect segue for the government to be like, look, like white a white guy with blonde hair and blue eyes like you know more of the reason to suspect our neighbors and to question everyone around us and to just turn people in that we suspect and just spying on people there's so many different ways to keep perpetuating this false mythological creation of this um this force of terrorism that's out to destroy our freedoms uh i mean on one hand you have um you know some of the like the more liberal leaning media i hate to say that also because msnbc is by no means actually liberal but i mean you know they're like the kind of the polar opposite sort of of what fox news is doing um rachel maddow's show had a, a a series of specials on the um you know the oklahoma city bombings during the height of the tea party like and they were clearly trying to connect you know right-wing extremism you know violence with the tea party and it was like a there was attempts made for a while you know it's 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 just weird how both sides kind of pour yeah i mean when these weapon contractor ceos and stuff are sitting on boards of media corporations they have to tow that narrative they can't just you know come out and and bucket and that's exactly what happened to the guy from the Young Turks. We'll talk about that later. Uh, I wanted to read a really good quote from Glenn Greenwald um, talking about the reaction, the mixed reaction to the Oslo uh, bombings. He says, quote, I can't help but noticing the vast difference in reaction to the violence visited on Western nations, such as Norway, and the violence visited by Western nations, particularly our own, on non-Western nations. The violence and indiscriminate death brought today into Oslo is routinely and constantly imposed by the U.S. (laughs) to large numbers of people, and those are just facts, and yet a tiny, tiny fraction of attention, interest, and anger is generated by such violence as compared to that generated by the violence in Oslo today. What explains that mammoth discrepancy in interest, discussion, and media coverage? Once again, just poignant, on-point words from Glenn Greenwald talking about the fact that we are bombing children, destroying families, and killing thousands of people on a day-to-day basis in so many different countries, yet the second that there's some sort of attack on a 
nation in the Western world. It's just the most devastating thing in the planet. Yeah, but Abby, those people that America's killing are they're terrorists. They're not they're not human beings, and that's kind of what you know. Basically, what makes people able to look the other way and not and not care about it is they're lulled into feeling like this is actually some sort of war of protection that we need to murder thousands of people in these countries like the pakistani drone attacks um you know we played some uh, a a little series of clips at the beginning of this episode and and glenn greenwald again talks about how um a website an independent blog you know this is these are the only people doing real journalism these days an independent blog which name escapes me right now actually proved false a statement by john brennan saying that that there were no civilian casualties in this these months of Pakistani drone attacks. There were none. That they only targeted militants, and that's who they destroyed, and so on. Um, but this website actually found that there were over 43 civilian casualties in that time period. Um, and that's like a ratio of, you know, if you even believe that any of these people were actual, you know, dangerous militants they were targeting, it's a ratio of like 40 to 1 or, or something like that. Yeah, and, and according <laughs> to AOL emerging. News, the, the guy... This computer scientist, he's a Pakistani computer scientist called Zishan al-Husan Usmani. He's a world-class expert at assessing civilian casualties in war. His PhD thesis looked at the complex simulations calculating blast waves from suicide bombings. And he... um, is basically he's applied his expertise to the contentious debate over this this the drone strikes in Pakistan and how this misleading narrative that we are only targeting quote unquote militants, which Glenn Greenwald pointed out, we just like to call anyone who's killed by a drone attack a militant. Um, but his website's called Pakistan Body Count. This guy and it it proves essentially that ninety percent of the reported casualties were civilians from the drone attacks so far in Pakistan. I mean, we're not going to really go too far into the into the Norway thing because we don't have the information, but we'll try to touch on that later as more information comes out about it. Um, but this whole shift now in, on homegrown, ex, homegrown terrorism and violent extremism, it was first this whole concept, um, you know, of course it started during the Bush administration, this whole idea of everyone's a suspect now in 2007 the homegrown terrorism and radicalization bill was introduced by jane Harmon in congress fortunately it was shut down but there's some terrifying commentary by jane Harmon and some other individuals they're talking about how ae 911 truth is a website that that would be considered violent extremism and homegrown terrorism i mean conspiracy theory websites they're linking them into sexual predators and um and people who are supporting suicide bombings so this is the this is what's behind this push these people actually think that people who are questioning the government's narrative on something like 9-11 is comparable to people who are molesting children and supporting suicide bombers this is the the line of thought that they're pushing Um, we're going to play a clip really quickly but the reason why we've been bringing this up is because in obama's new national security strategy that he just introduced it's kind of focusing in honing in on violent extremism and homegrown terrorism as now kind of our new push in this war on terror um and he's kind of embracing these policies from this draconian piece of legislation that was fortunately not passed and i reported extensively about this there's a there's a report that we're going to link to on the soundcloud timeline that goes really in depth to what this bill was all about so definitely check that out 
Obama's doing the same thing, just in different language. I mean, here we are focusing on violent extremism, homegrown terrorism. Like you said, we've already been kind of inserting that the Tea Party has a violent wing um, that we need to be watching out for. And I, it just seems like this is a perfect segue now, this this Norway thing, to kind of justify or rationalize this new thought. It's just every time something like this happens, it'll just be you know a new push by by people to pass this kind of legislation. I just think a lot of this war on terror rhetoric is is an extension of as almost like McCarthy era politics where people who have anything that can be considered remotely dissenting, you know, people who have certain sexual habits or whatever. I mean, they were trying to link pedophilia, like you said, with 9-11 truth. It's just a mirror image of anti-communist a Red Scare politics. Yeah, in, in an article by CNN, um, on May 26th of, of 2010, actually. This was when the national security strategy was unveiled, but I feel like now we're going to focus on, on it even more. This year, we're going to see, it just that's my belief, President Barack Obama basically is calling this a new phase of the terrorist threat. Um, it's going to be the first time any president, quote, explicitly recognizes the threat to the U.S. posed by individuals radicalized here at home, says National Security Advisor John Brennan. So it's this whole strategy is acting as a blueprint pretty much to target Americans. Um, and you know what? Let's just play a clip from from the, the floor of Congress when they're talking about the radicalization bill of 2007, because it's so fascinating to hear how they're presenting this information. These people no longer need to travel to foreign countries or isolated backwoods compounds to become indoctrinated by extremists and to learn how to kill neighbors in our communities. On the contrary, the internet allows them to share violent goals and plot from the comfort of their living rooms. How we address violent radicalization while respecting the Constitution in the process is not easy. Representative Reichert and I are co-authors of H.R. 1955, the Violent Radicalization and Homegrown Terrorism Prevention Act of 2007. One of the things that we have discovered is that some of the methods used by both our homegrown extremists as well as international extremists are the same. Um, some of these are conspiracy theories that present a closed view of the world, um, such as blaming 9-11 uh, as in part of an outside job or a job by outside groups such as the U.S. government Let's keep going. or uh, Jews, etc. And spot high traffic sites where you know there's something going on, whether it's child predators, sexual... Um, content or radical groups because they really are no different. Leon Panetta is, is someone who we've been hearing a little bit about recently. Uh, he went to Iraq to do a speech to the troops. Um, and in the speech, he actually said that the reason why they're over there fighting in Iraq still is because we were attacked on 9-11. He actually said that later it was a gaffe and he retracted the statement uh it's just really funny how that kind of stuff goes unnoticed you know that obama administration is actually peddling a 2003 era talking point from the bush administration that the bush administration didn't even use anymore <laughs> at a certain even, point it's crazy even funnier philip zelikow the head of the 9-11 commission actually said um to apac 
the reason that we went into Iraq was to primarily protect Israel. <laughs> he actually said that to and did he get like a standing ovation? Probably. It's just funny. It's like, really? So you're actually just admitting that in part. It was like totally just strategy based. Like, <laughs> Yeah. We've never, the American public has never been told that. Yeah. I would love to know? hear that in a speech by Obama. Um, one really, really awesome thing. I didn't even know about this woman, Rep- Representative Woosley. Um, she's a former Petaluma city councilman who was elected to Congress in 1992. She basically has been giving a series of anti-war speeches on the floor of Congress every single day that it's been in session since April 2004. How awesome is that? She's just a badass woman. You never hear about this woman ever. I've never heard about her. And that's, she's just an amazing lady. Cool. It's just like, wow, you have balls of steel. Thank you for continuously getting up there and, and speaking your mind and trying to convince people that these wars are morally and economically bankrupting this country and the planet for that matter yeah i like also how on on this media roots article here you have a quote from her saying that the you know the iraq war and former president bush were quite popular in 2004 but gradually the tide of public (laughs) opinion turned and it's true people forget that the iraq war was promoted by all democrats like we mentioned on our previous episode michael moore got booed at the academy awards in 2003 for saying that the president was a fictitious president. I mean, that's still how popular those wars were at the time. It only became, you know, people only turned against the war when it became, like, trendy to do so. And I hate to say that. And when it became, like, that, the trend, like, oh, they lied about the WMDs. We've said this so many times, but it's like, that that isn't even a reason for you to turn against a war. Why? Because the president lied about the fact, I mean... Yes, that is crazy. The president lied about going to war. That's nuts. But why are we going to war with people who have weapons anyway? Yeah, my, my theory about the WMD thing was, it's kind of like Richard Clark saying, oh, you know, we, we were sorry for, you know, 9-11. Um, it's like they're almost like releasing a pressure valve. They, they feel all this pressure building up, all this resentment that's g- going to have to give eventually. So it's like a pressure valve. It's like, let's release a little bit of steam so the American public can go like, oh, yeah, they lied about this. Yeah, you know, yeah, something yeah. really minuscule in the bigger scheme of things. I mean, they lied about 9-11. Yeah, um, they lied about everything. They were involved in 9-11. <laughs> They, you know, at best, uh, they just did nothing to stop it on purpose Which because they needed it to get him into war. Just as much. Yeah. It should piss people off just as much. People like John Stewart, for example, and we're going to play a really short clip right now. John Stewart, um, you know, at times he seems really anti-establishment. At times he seems completely pro-establishment. I can never really tell, but really interestingly enough, he was interviewing the president of Pakistan on a recent broadcast. After all, if you go back to nine eleven. Wasn't CIA the most powerful organization? They didn't know 18 people were training to attack your World Trade Center. No, they, they did. didn't. They didn't know didn't that four, four aircraft. <laughs> he kind of admitted it was almost like a guttural reaction to something that the Pakistani president was saying about how they were just inept and they didn't know that Bin Laden was was being harbored there. And he was just, "How are you guys just that clueless?" And he and the Pakistani president was just like, well, you guys were clueless about 9-11. You didn't know it was coming. And John Stewart, well, we actually did know. They just didn't tell anyone. They knew. They just didn't tell anyone. That in itself, it's like, holy shit, you actually are acknowledging that you, you know that the government knew <laughs> this attack was coming and that they just did nothing to stop it. Um, that right there should piss off everyone just as much. I mean, they basically made the, made these attacks happen to, to do what they needed to do. And I just don't understand that acknowledgement, but not going to the next step and being like that they murdered 3,000 people. It's because 
that would be going too far. It's it's the line you cannot cross. I mean, if you do, you become completely ostracized or lose your career. Yeah, and I was really actually impressed that John Stewart even admitted that because I feel like it was like almost accidental. You know, it was like what he really believes, and it just kind of came out. Yeah, um, yeah. We're, you're talking about the popularity of the Iraq War and how it how it dwindled now, and, and everyone thinks it's kind of over. A really interesting report just done in Egypt, Lebanon, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates, and Morocco. Um, a poll of six Arab nations. What's interesting is that none of them are nations that were, other than Egypt, who knows if we're there with the CIA, probably. But we're not actually occupying these countries or, or bombing them, as far as we know. And the poll done there says that the U.S. is much more unpopular now under Obama's presidency than it was even in the last year that Bush was in office. Not very startling, still unsettling, I'd say. Um, It's just funny to me that how much it's plummeted. I mean, you had Obama giving his speech that Kent, you know, the speech to the Arab world when he first got elected and everyone was just hailing him and, and his polls were so favorable and everyone was so excited and now i guess you can't make friends by bombing your neighbors i'm not too surprised that it that it's dropped so fast the ruse of him making that doing that interview on egyptian television trying to basically apologize to the arab world and maybe work for a couple of months in the arab world but i don't think you know they're not dumb enough to be tricked by american propaganda the rest of the world seems to be the rest of the western world at least um you know wants to believe it but they're the first ones to call bullshit. I mean, we would just watch that Vice magazine yeah, thing like yeah, you were talking about. Yeah, I was going to say that. It was really good. The Vice magazine special. It's called Pakistan After Bin Laden. Yeah, and, and you could tell the Vice magazine reporters themselves are kind of like anti, a little bit, you know, they they kind of believe the official story, but they're every single person they interview, including like a kid who used to play <laughs> at the house, like play cricket at the house, like all the time, did not believe that Bin Laden lived there. Absolutely did not believe it. You know, none not of them one did. person, not a single person. And, and they even went farther than that. They were even just like, we think that it's like totally made up. Like, uh, they yeah. were just like, isn't it just coincidental, you think, that Bin Laden was supposedly living right down the street from this military branch yeah. of the Pakistani military? It's like, this is not... And no one knew about it in the neighborhood? Yeah, it's like, come on. I mean, And, and the <laughs> way they tried to represent it on the media, it's hilarious. Until I watched that, I had this in- totally incorrect... This is just an example of how, you know... Even I, you know, I'm not trying to hold myself to some, you know, impeccably high standard here of, of my critical thinking abilities, but I even, you know, was kind of led to believe, based on the media coverage of it, that he was in some sort of kind of desolated neighborhood where the, all the people there were kind of more um, on the extremist side. But when you see this actual video, everyone seems very well educated, very well spoken. Um, they all speak great English, except for the, you know, the 11-year-old kid. Yeah. I mean, it's just funny how, you know, the media just on every level lies about things yeah you you just have to see it for yourself yeah we're gonna link to that right now you guys definitely have to watch that it's incredible the little kid is just like telling the reporter he's just like no like i never saw bin laden he's like i went in the house like a hundred times he's like i knew everyone there i've never ever seen bin laden not once um interesting (laughs) yeah i mean i'm i'm completely unconvinced that either bin laden was hiding there and found or that he was killed in that manner there i mean right. he's probably dead i'm i'm yeah. not doubting that anymore but 
Yeah, it's complete bullshit. All, yeah. the, the whole story about how he was his body was dumped at sea, um, the way Obama talked about it, where he's like, or on 60 Minutes he was asked, um, did you see the photos? And Obama said, yes. And he like nods his head like 10 <laughs> times like an autistic person as he's saying yes. And it just, it, to me, it's like a weird poker tell. Like, why are you doing so <laughs> much like unnecessary himself. body language? Yeah, and then like, and then the, the sixty Minutes reporter goes, "Well, what did you think?" And and Bin Laden, or <laughs> goes, "What did you think?" And Obama goes, "That it was him." And he's while he's saying it was him, he's nodding. It's like, well, obviously it's him, right? I mean, why would you have to say it was? <laughs> yeah, 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 that's yeah. what you thought it was him. I mean, what? Yeah, so I'm sorry. It's just um, completely unbelievable story. Yeah, another unbelievable story, totally underreported, is the Somalian um, prison sites that the CIA is sponsoring there. The CIA is basically paying the intelligence of Somalia to do all these operations, and the country were running a secret prison there, probably torturing people, no doubt. And when doubt. you say this is another unbelievable story, I mean, this one's actually true, Oh yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous, and, and it's been so downplayed by the corporate media immediately after Jeremy Scale did an embedded uh, mission in um, in Mogadishu, Somalia, it was a very dangerous mission where he was on the ground and got firsthand accounts of what's going on there with our with the CIA. And immediately, the CIA released a statement saying, "No, we're not doing that." And of course, the corporate press just reprints that. It's like they don't even do like their own research at all. It's just like, yeah. nope. Like Jeremy Scale says this. Like this is what all the mainstream establishment news agencies say. Like yeah, the CIA LA Times. propaganda. Like. Press yeah, well, release. the LA Times is funny because the the people who did the only mainstream media um, papers and and you know uh, outlets that did report on it, they actually didn't. They tried to downplay it, but they did it by using a lie of omission. The original story Jeremy Scahill wrote basically says that these Somalian. Um, mercenaries were being paid by the CIA mm -hmm. to run this prison for the CIA. Um, what the U.S. government responds by saying is that, oh, these aren't Americans running this prison, they're Somalians. It's like, well, yeah, that's what Jeremy Scahill <laughs> said, but they're on the payroll of the CIA. You're not denying that. But the LA Times didn't even cover that ground. I mean, they just play right into the hands uh, of each other. It's, it's just, just a, like a uh, yeah, well-oiled machine, you know? And it didn't even like really even quote Jeremy Scale. It was just like the CA reports that, or like this is what the government says, and it's like that's not reporting. You're just basically reprinting something that the government just gave you in a press release. Like that's not investigation. I don't understand yeah. what what happened. It's like that NPR reporter who was arguing with Greenwald, saying, "Well." I was shown something that shows that Al Waki is a dangerous terrorist, you know, something that you didn't see, something I had access to. It's like, well, well, what was that you had access to? You're a reporter. To, why don't yeah, you reprint that for job. us? If you're refusing to reprint it, then you're just a government stooge. Yeah, and I, I love how Greenwald just called her on it. He was like, so you're saying that you saw a piece of paper that the government showed you that said Al Waki was, was who they <laughs> yeah. say he is. Okay, that, Quote, no, okay. Proof. <laughs> yeah. Um, I read a little report, or I wrote a little report for KPFA uh, Project Censored. Um, just kind of a really brief update on, on some things that are going on with American foreign policy and the wars. Um, and I just wanted to read a couple excerpts from it. A recent report from Global Research revealed that prisoners are making 23 cents an hour to manufacture weapons components, um, which is completely insane. BP used prison slave labor also in their cleanup efforts. And this is just... It, it's not even counting the the unfairness to the workers and workers rights but just the egregious expansion of like 
the corporate state and the fact that they are literally profiting off slaves. I mean, just think about that. It's disgusting. To me, it's not a, a big surprise because ever since I was a kid, I, you know, I figured that they, you know, they they had to make license plates and things like that. But it sounds like it's expanded well beyond that. I mean, they do everything now. Um, yeah, there's they actually have them, a, sorry. Well, they do, like they even have them, you know, do all the the groundwork, um, like you know, gardening stuff in prisons and stuff like that. Like, and it would, yeah, wouldn't a lot of people have like argued with me about this particular topic because I, I find it so unsettling for some reason, and people are just like, oh, well, not everyone in prison's good. Like, why do you give a fuck about prisoners? Like, they're obviously in there for a reason. It's like, well, when prisons are owned by corporations, and when we know that legislation's being drafted to like put more people in prison, and the drug war has so many innocent people incarcerated for just like non-violent possession crimes that uh, yeah it is unsettling it's very unsettling and i did hear that there are you know aside from the fact that the, you know halliburton and cheney's invested in these private um, prisons just knowing that there's actually like an overarching corporation that has prisoners doing labor for them and then has like conventions every year to sell like furniture and shit that prisoners make it's like a whole industry. Sorry, just the idea that they actually make money in some of these private prisons by filling the prisons up just without even having mm-hmm. them do labor. I mean, it's a total conflict of interest. Right. Um, there's prisons just sitting almost literally vacant in some areas. And, and there's been proven cases, you know, you know, throughout the nineties, um, you know, from 2000 to 2010 where, where actual local, um, sheriff departments and law enforcement would be lobbied by these corporations to round people up for minor offenses just to fill up these prisons and they would make money off of it. They would get bonuses. They would, um, you know, give them payola for doing these things for them. And we already know that we're the most incarcerated country on the planet. We we tout that we're the freest, yeah. but we have the most people incarcerated yeah, in, China, in our country. China and Iran um, come the closest, I think, on a scale of the percentage of mm-hmm. their own population incarcerated. Uh, we need to change. I mean, we basically just need to change our our drug laws um, yeah. immediately, and we need to teach people their rights more and and make people understand what their civil rights are and. And at least educate people, because if we don't, then no one's going to care when they are completely gone. And just to cut through a little bit of the propaganda surrounding the wars and and all that good stuff, um, Obama just gave a speech about Afghanistan scaling down on June 22nd, and he cited the official cost for the wars so far at $1 trillion as being like a reason why we need to start scaling down these wars. Yeah, go get them. Um, but unfortunately, Nobel Prize laureate Joseph Stiglitz released a book three years ago, this is a three-year-old assessment, that the wars cost well over $3 trillion, and that's not even counting the CIA black budget or any of that shit that's completely not reported on. I mean, there's so many hidden costs that we don't even know about. Um, and the corporate media completely still touts the official death toll of just Iraq at under 100,000, and that's even with the WikiLeaks revelations. Like, there's no one reporting on the opinion research business poll done in 2008 once again that basically i mean proved that the number of dead iraqis was well over a million and that's a three-year-old assessment and these are just these numbers that are still touted by the corporate establishment yeah they go to the very like lowest estimate yeah and then they act like oh well this is actually a real poll it's like yeah but it's literally the lowest estimate ever of like dead (laughs) dead people in this and you know 
that yeah. Americans have killed. Um, yeah, and, and earlier this year, the cost of the Afghanistan war outpaced that of Iraq. Now we're spending more in Afghanistan than we were in Iraq. Um, and, you know, like we were saying before in Pakistan, the, the drones have dramatically escalated under the Obama administration. Um, just on May 22nd, this is interesting, 7,000 people in Karachi, Pakistan, had, Pakistan did a two-day sit-in. Like, you don't hear about that to try to end the Pakistani government's um, participation in America's war on terror. And it's just amazing. These activists sat, did a two-day sit-in. That's so huge. 7,000 people were in the streets demanding an end to these drone strikes. It's like, you'd really think if we were just targeting militants and helping out the Pakistani government to weed out terrorism in their country, that all these people would be like a massive outcry to stop bombing them no no i mean and it's it just seems like the way that they go about this is so careless and just such you know there's such a high margin of error and they just don't give a shit um just watch the collateral murder video i mean that shows you all you need to know about how we go about uh the p you know the so-called militancy target you know we get an anonymous tip from someone or we see we think someone's holding a weapon and then we just blow every single person mm-hmm. away in the vicinity. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's with an actual person manned helicopter, um, a drone strike. You don't even have to be around. I mean, you just drop it's Ro- you're robot even more wars, detached. Baby. Robot wars. Yeah. At least if you're in a helicopter, you smell like the fire mm-hmm. and this, you know, the burning, you know, <laughs> um, cinder and stuff like that. But when you're in an office and, and you know, in the United States and with a you're coffee, World of Warcraft, baby. Yeah, um, it creeps me out. And one thing that I actually didn't even know about is, you know, we so we're in Libya, we're bombing Libya, we're spending forty million dollars a month there, probably more. That's a very conservative estimate. But I didn't realize that we were actually we, meaning the United States, was actually paying seventy five percent of the defense budget for the twenty eight members of NATO. I didn't know that. So that's, pr- I mean, it's pretty much our war. <laughs> like, No, Abby, it's NATO. They're like an international force. <laughs> yeah, it's like you hear that all the time. Like, oh, we're, it's NATO backed. You're like, but we're paying for it. I mean, it's pretty much ours just because we want to throw NATO in there. Yeah, all major military operations done on behalf of the so-called global community or whatever, they're always going to be... Um, based around the engine of the United States Army because the United States has become a tool set for all of this money, these investments. Um, they're cannon fodder, you know, to fight in these bizarre, almost science fiction-esque wars for absolutely no reason. But Robbie, they're just police actions. I read this report, this guy who was like <laughs> writing for Foreign Policy Journal and he was talking about how these drone strikes are just, they're coordinated police actions. They're not acts of war, Robbie. So what are we going to do, start drone attacking like West Oakland when there's like a like a police matter? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's and we probably will. <laughs> Non-lethal drone attacks, you know, somehow like tase people. Um, it's... It's and then the further we get detached from the human toll, we don't you know the human toll is less visible to us, less known to us. The less people are actually going to be concerned about all this mayhem going on with our tax dollars and our people, um, and you know, at the cost of millions of people in foreign countries. I mean, we don't care at all right now, and we're going to care even less. The more we implement all this robotic shit into our army yeah. where people don't have to actually be on the battlefield. Do you remember hearing about the human eaters or the, what is it called? The eaters, E-A-T-R. Yeah, they could actually like Eat use carbon. human flesh to 
as fuel or something yeah they feel themselves on like <laughs> decayed carbon it's like well that's human bodies so what are you talking about cleaning up the battlefield with these giant terminator robots who are eating people it's it's what i mean you know <laughs> i mean it's the like the you know the classic argument um that i often hear some more liberal leaning people use is that well at least we're not actually sending real you know men and women into there to kill people it's like yeah, at least we're not doing that, you know, but we're, it's like, God At damn. least we're not sending our white people in to kill weird, the brown people. It's such a weird argument of um, marginal incrementalism. Yeah. Like, that, that's, that's you know, they're both horrific, but it's like, <laughs> oh, well, this is slightly better than that. It's, it's the like lesser not, of two evils. Yeah, it's the classic. I love, mom the other day told me, I was talking to her about the lesser of two evils whole, that whole talking point, and she was, she said something hilarious, she was just like, I wouldn't vote for Obama if he was running against Lucifer. <laughs> to announce that I'm officially on the board of Project Censored, one of the most credible uh, media organizations in my eyes on the planet. Um, They are the largest research organization in the country that has existed for over 30 years, Um, and they uncover the top 25 censored stories from the corporate media every year. And we wanted to go into a little bit about censorship in the media and how it's not, it doesn't necessarily mean the black hand of government and snuffing out a story. That's not censorship. It's, I mean, I mean, it is censorship, but that's not. Yeah, that's the, that's the most, you know, extreme form of censorship short of actually like cutting someone's tongue out or or, or murdering someone. (laughs) The government actually, you know, arresting you based on your, your free speech or whatever. But we wanted to touch upon the idea of, yeah, self-censorship, an almost more dangerous form of censorship um, that creeps into everybody's behaviors and lifestyles um, and the way they interact with each other and on the internet and everything, everything in your daily lives um, is influenced by self-censorship. Um, and just on a very basic level, you know, everyone does it to some degree. I mean, there's thoughts that we have privately that we would never necessarily tell certain people, you know, in order to, at yeah. the expense of their feelings. Yeah. But we're, we're touching upon the, the idea of self-censorship, like in your career, um, in which political beliefs you decide to express openly. Um, and... Yeah, and and perfectly perfect example is the host from the Young Turks. He was he was on MSNBC. His ratings were beating Fox News. I mean, there's really no reason why um, he would have been asked to leave the position at, at the time period at the time slot that he was doing the show. Um, 
but he was a little bit too hard on Obama. And he gave a really great speech of why he decided to leave MSNBC. Um, the producer approached him several times and basically said, you need to lighten up and we're part of the establishment and we need to toe the line, essentially. And and he just said, you know what, I'm not going to do that. Um, and we're talking about a very moderate left winger. I would not call the Young Turks left wing at all. I mean... The yeah. fact that they're like censoring on this level, it's not like the Fox News story where we saw in that movie, The Corporation, where they actually forbade them to talk about Monsanto and report on this story. Um, this is different. That is like outright censorship from Fox saying like, you cannot talk about this or you you cannot cover this. This is actually just a chilling effect within the corporate news industry saying you need to go more along the line of, of the federal government. Yeah, and it's and it's and we want to be clear about what we're explaining here. It's not that um, you know their bosses are, are secretly whispering to each other so their employees know that you can and can't talk about this. It's that by going into this culture of the mainstream media, when you work for a company like MSNBC or CNN or the New York Times, you're aware of this this invisible line that you you can not cross. If you cross it. Um, you know, your job is, um, it could be at risk. You're not supposed to talk about certain things, but it's understood on a very basic Mm -hmm. level. It's not conveyed to you directly, but it's kind of understood. And it's kind of like if you join, if you join the club and you play by the rules, kind of the, you know, intuitively play by the rules, you don't, you're, you're never given a rule sheet, then you stay in the club. And I love, I love what he says too, because he's talking about the perks and it's almost like a small conditioning into this culture. And it's not like journalists who go to journalism school and and get jobs in these agencies are bad people or they don't want to do their jobs. It's just that you're conditioned to get accustomed to these small perks, like getting your luggage out first when you're at the airport, getting um, chauffeured to the airport and back, getting these pimp rooms at hotels and stuff. He's just like, I completely understand why people are just like, you know what? I want to keep this lifestyle it's almost like my job it's almost like a casino comping all your rooms and giving you free food so you keep gambling and throwing your money away i mean yeah yeah and he was just like you know yeah i really liked those perks and it was really fun to have that attention and to have um that kind of lifestyle he's like but that's not worth my integrity and i really respect that i mean i'm not even that big of a fan of the young turks i i personally am way more left-wing than he um than his style, but I really respected what he had to say. And I thought that that was really awesome. Yeah. Um, I mean, you have to really give points to someone who's basically sacrificed a, f- a long future in journalism. I think someone like him, even though his style is maybe not traditional in his delivery and stuff, there aren't many people coming from his perspective, bringing that perspective over. And I think he had a really long future ahead of him if he wanted to play by the so-called rules. And the fact that he decided not to, um, you know, someone like Rachel Maddow clearly has uh, agreed to play by the rules. Mm -hmm. And Bill Moyers was on her show about two months ago and she actually, no, I think it was this month. And she was just interviewing him about the Rupert Murdoch scandal um, with uh, Sky News and how they're hacking into phones and stuff. And, you know, Bill Moyer just goes in this really beautiful rant about how the mainstream media is corrupt 
at, at its core, not because of, of necessarily the direct hand of corporate influence or the hand mm-hmm. of government, like mm-hmm. you were saying, even though they are owned by big corporations mm-hmm. like General Electric um, and Microsoft, it's because it's the culture of self-censorship. And, you know, Bill Moyers even admits to doing it in his own work. Um, and he and he's aware of the phenomenon. And I think most journalists, if they're really honest with themselves, would admit to it. But it's hard to admit that you're not being true to yourself. Right. I mean, it's it's like being a musician and selling out. It's like you don't want to... You know, you want to convince yourself that you're doing the best you can, and that you're doing what you want. I'm sure, you know, yeah. politicians who got in for the right reasons, and just over time, they these small ekes of reform, and they justify it to themselves, like, well, we're just doing all we can. You know, it's the frailty of the human ego. You know, it's your yeah, exactly, and it's the root of all of this. But I mean, it's it's you can you can see it especially badly with journalism because journalism is supposed to be about delivering the truth to the public putting the government in check not just printing what they say as news Um, another element of censorship is framing and just the betting certain stories importance against others so the under reporting the trivializing and the framing of these these issues as well um I was, I was looking at this Wikipedia entry about Project Censored, and there were some criticisms of Project Censored talking about how, well, these stories can't be censored because they were printed in the New York Times. It's like, dude, you're missing the point. Censorship isn't just not being told. Censorship is the way that it's being reported. Yeah, censorship can mean so many different things. I mean, you could... You know, you can make a very strong case that the Bradley Manning um, imprisonment story was being censored and covered up in the mainstream media. But this, you know, person who doesn't want to believe that would be like, well, I heard about it. Yeah, the Bradley Manning story was all over the place. It's it's like, but the way they were covering it was they were trying to trivialize it Mm -hmm. and marginalize him as some little brat Mm -hmm. who, you know might be a transsexual and he listens to Lady Gaga and he's just this irresponsible idiot. You know, that's how they wanted to represent him. That's censorship. This news of the world scandal where Murdoch's going down because of this wiretapping is so interesting to me because it really reveals how journalists don't do their job. They don't do proper investigation or put their jobs or lives on the line really to do what they should be doing, which is exposing corruption in the bureaucracy and at the federal level, they should be checking this at every level and exposing this. But instead, they're hacking into like celebrities' phones and dead children's phones and deleting voicemails and breaking the law in that sense. And that's so disgusting. It's like they're just lackeys. I mean, yeah, you, it's, it is so bizarre that the way they're not willing, they're so afraid of the government that they never challenge them. You know, they so rarely challenge them. The only paper in the UK that I can say honestly challenges the government's official line frequently, a big paper, is The Guardian. Yeah, they're awesome. They're funded by a public trust, which is actually kind of an interesting way to, to fund a newspaper, you know, so it's not biased by corporate entities like, like a lot of our newspapers are over here. But yeah, the, the journalists were willing to break the law and go to jail for hacking into the phones of celebrities to report tabloid sensationalist news coverage about their personal lives, about someone in the royal family getting an injury in a tennis accident. Um, And that's actually part of how they got figured, found out, caught. 
someone in the royal family saw this story about them getting in a tennis accident in the newspaper and they were like well this we never told anyone about this how did this get reported and it they later found out that it was because their voicemail had been hacked and unbelievable they heard a message that someone you know was, was talking about this accident you know people say well oh journalists you know you can't blame journalists for not putting their careers on the line to you know break the law or whatever to report yeah. this kind of stuff but Apparently, they're willing to do it for the most ridiculous crap you can imagine. Yeah, you know? it's, it's really, really, really interesting. The least important kind of news coverage. Yeah, and, and just this whole issue of privacy and just the rampant surveillance in, in all across every sector that we're seeing. Um, I did not see this until a couple days ago, but apparently this story was from last year, where schools were giving children laptops, school-issued laptops, to put in their house. And one of the kids found out that his laptop was being turned on by the school, by different people within the school, and they were being spied on. Um, We're talking about 15-year-old kids here, girls who are in their room, um, changing, walking around naked. I mean, who knows what they're doing? And the school is just indiscriminately they're just like watching children. Um, it was a district-wide policy. It was it was allowed by the whole school district. I mean, that is such a disgusting, egregious expansion of civil liberties. I, and it's like you, they were minors. I mean, they didn't even have like. It's just like, what conditioning is that to it, give students these laptops and then later they find out that their privacy was completely violated? Did anything happen with that story? No, I mean, I think that it's it's not that uncommon. Um, and this whole idea of privacy being violated and not respected by just... Um, you know, communities of people, not even the government doing it. I mean, this is just a school district that's taking it upon themselves to violate all these students' privacy and spy on them through their laptops. Sky News employees, you know, there was a culture within Sky News that it's okay to violate the privacy of all these people you want to do stories on and actually hack into their voicemails. This is, to me, a really, it's kind of a scary culture that's, that's, um, you know, coming into view that, that people, that people have the tools now and the abilities to actually violate privacy of the, of other people. And it's, you know, it's like, it's like a side effect of the police state and these just how now we're living in this police state where there's cameras everywhere and we're cataloged when you go through the Bay bridge, our license plate back and forth is taking photos of it's like all these things were just cataloged in this database with everything that we do on a day to day basis. And I think that that's just the slow conditioning of, of people accepting that this is the state of our privacy and the state of how things are giving them, you know, more of an acquiesce acquiescence to this type of activity. Yeah. And, and, Back to that, the whole laptop spying incident. Um, they brought a lawsuit to the school. I don't know if they actually won, but what I didn't realize is that how much, how much more common it actually is for schools to give out computers to students and to tell them that they're going to be filming them, Whoa. or to actually monitor the monitor them as they're using the computer and actually like pop messages on their screen saying close that window, get back to work, and things like that. We were watching this um, PBS special called Digital Nation that was about a school principal who was kind of gleefully explaining to this news reporter how 
hey, watch us as we as we spy on these students. And he's showing, you know, the reporter who's spying on this um, this young girl doing her homework. And then he's like, we like to snap pictures of them just to catch them by surprise. And then he like takes a picture of the girl from iPhone, um, or the sorry, the i the photo booth software on the Mac, and she like jumps out of the way because she sees the green light coming on her camera. So, so you're teaching kids to look over their shoulder and just think that anyone's could be spying on them at any time. You're creating the chilling effect to do the job of disciplining for you. And that goes back to that whole Jonathan Turley speech. I think we played on the second episode of media roots where the school buses had cameras on them, but no tapes, no recordings were made. It was just to let the students know that you're being watched. Yeah. Don't do anything wrong because you're, what is the difference between having these laptops that the school tells you that they could watch at any time and then having a telescreen from the government like in 1984? I mean, what is going on? That is so outrageous, man. It yeah, is really, it is. really shocking. I think... Um, Damn. I mean, there's a, there's a couple um, techniques that you can use as an individual to use these tools um, to your own advantage and also to... Uh, protect yourselves from from having these tools used on you um one really simple way so if you have a laptop with a webcam and you have paranoia about this i mean it's understandable that you would if you're an activist um all all you need to do is just cover the webcam up with you know a tiny little post-it note or a piece of tape something that's opaque enough for the where the camera can actually see through and then also all, all laptops have microphones built on them. And most people's microphones are activated all the time. You can actually go into your settings um, on Windows. It's in control panel, uh, your mixer settings, and you could turn down the mic input volume. Or on the Mac, it's in your, um, your audio MIDI setup, and you could just mute the uh, microphone input. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, a lot of these tools, they, they, they have um, some positive benefits to them. Like people have used tracking software on iPhones or on laptops to catch people who have stolen their laptop, which was actually the original excuse that the school gave for why they were spying on these students. They said, oh, well, we we're trying to track stolen laptops, which is actually a really successful way when it's used correctly to actually track a stolen laptop. If you right. don't want your laptop to get stolen, use it in public a lot. Um, or even if you don't, you know, if just in, in case it gets stolen, you can install software on Mac OS X or a PC Windows laptop. Um, all you have to do is type, you know, thief tracking software. And it basically can snap pictures remotely of whoever's using your stolen laptop. Um, it's, it's pretty incredible. I read this whole blog about a guy who actually found out where the guy lived that stole his laptop based on a Google Maps uh, GPS location thing that was in his uh, in the laptop. Yeah, it's but, a pretty incredible story. But I mean, these tools—you know—parents can use these tools to track their own children. Um, it's so easy to violate someone's privacy. The urge to do it is you know, is must be overwhelming for certain parents and per, certain people in positions of authority to spy on their own employees, uh, for jails to spy on people for, I mean, the way cops can spy on people now, it's really incredible the technology that exists now for spying. It's beyond, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> and how cheap it is, especially a webcam costs 10 bucks. 
Yeah, this is reminding me of the story of Tyler Clemente, um, the Rutgers student who killed himself after his uh, dorm mate set up his webcam to spy on him having... Um, you know, a gay makeout session with a guy. He wasn't ready to come out yet. He wasn't, I mean, who are you to expose someone's sexuality and make a mockery out of it? And then just because you feel like privacy is so devalued that you can do that? I mean, it's so wrong. It's just like a, a just a microcosm of what's wrong with this the scenario that we're talking about and how privacy is so devalued in this country is like people think that it's okay to just set up a webcam and spy on someone you live with and then like make fun of them and this kid killed himself because who knows why i mean it's a very embarrassing thing that happened to him and maybe he wasn't ready to come to terms with his sexuality or ready to come out we've all heard about the nsa wiretapping scandal that was uh, controversial for many reasons obama voted um promised he was going to vote against the telecom immunity bill he actually ended up voting for it in the end you know the bush administration used the excuse that well if you aren't calling al-qaeda then you don't have anything to worry about and they said that many times they gave the impression to the American public that the only people that are being wiretapped without a warrant were people who were suspected of dealing with terrorists. And if that wasn't unbelievable enough, just on its face, is how ridiculous it sounds. Um, because for years, you know, even during the Cold War, they had to go through the FISA court to get a warrant. And that was never um, a problem before until, you know, supposedly 9-11. You know, they needed more tools to catch terrorists <laughs> or whatever. But it was found out a whistleblower from within the army, her name was Adrian Adrian Kine, 31-year-old Army Reserves Arab linguist. She went to the press and, and basically said that almost all the phone calls they were monitoring and recording um, were of a personal nature, non-pertinent discussions. They had nothing to do with any investigations having to do with terrorism. She described in depth... Um, you know, army linguists who were listening to this laughing at people's phone sex uh, discussions. So this is proof that that this is that was a complete lie. That that's why you know that they were actually monitoring terrorism. I mean, this is just a huge web designed to you know make it easier for them to surveil anybody. The NSA is so fucked up because one thing that I didn't even realize until a couple of days ago. This is this is how underreported this story is. We talk about privacy and just surveillance and wiretapping all the time in a post 9-11 world but the a program that's been going on ever since the cold war is a giant global surveillance system called echelon it's an arm of the nsa paid by the u.s taxpayer uh, it's basically a gigantic global data mining operation that indiscriminately uh, takes in every form of communication every form of electronic communication in the world, um, intercepting every mode of communication, emails, telephone chats, faxes, everything, um, and integrates it all into one computer database. <clears throat> and it's an agreement between Canada, the United States, United Kingdom, New Zealand, on us, and Australia. Um, billions of messages every single day goes into this giant surveillance dragnet where they just basically search for precursors um intelligence pre precursors into an enormous haystack of information virtually untalked about i didn't i didn't even heard about this isn't it amazing that this is going on 
Yeah, they they have insane technologies at their fingertips now. But what's what's the most disturbing aspect of this is it's almost like it's an aspect of technology in the globalized world the scary thing is that it could be used to keep the third world down um for example just coordinating efforts between the world's most powerful countries you know just these five countries are so powerful together and if you're coordinating your intelligence efforts against let's say muslims or you know if you're just this coordinated push to intensify your own agenda what remember that remember that kid who found the tracking device on his vehicle do you remember that? Um, no, refresh my memory. It was a kid named Yasser Afifi. I just found the article. He lived in Silicon Valley just because he was Arab. Of course, there's like a freaking million people on the terror watch list now. Um, but he found a strange device on his car when he took it in for an oil change. And he posted it to the internet and was trying to find out what it was and found out that it was an FBI tracking device. And amazingly, the FBI actually had the balls to like go demand him to give it back to them after like the story was exposed that they were tracking him and there was really like no explanation he couldn't figure it out he was just like i am just an arab male living in silicon valley and like i'm getting tracked by the fbi and i have no idea why yeah it looks pretty huge too it doesn't look very inconspicuous like the thing he's holding in the article is a giant (laughs) uh it's about a foot long and like in you know three inches wide or something like that it's, it's yeah it's cartoonish. like what, what were they thinking and now i mean i'm sure they have like minuscule almost unrecognizable ones that they can put in your car but it's just that that's not that should not be legal <laughs> you can't do that i mean it's just it's craziness yeah probable cause seems to be not even an issue anymore i mean they just you know any anybody's a suspect um you know just use whatever tools you can to go after these people it doesn't even seem to matter nothing is beyond the pale anymore. i just read an article in the east bay express about a new iphone application called bar space um listen to how ridiculous this violation of your privacy is now bars all around the world are installing surveillance cameras inside the bar all to like show kids like look our bar's hopping right now like come on down you can see real time what's happening in various locations okay sounds like it could be used for a good thing you know you're like okay is this bar worth going to do i want to pay the entry fee are there people there um does it look like it's going off but at the same time i mean someone the person who was doing this investigation went into Somar, one of the bars that we attend to in downtown Oakland, and she said that there were no signs telling you that you're being filmed. The only people that knew that what was going on were the bartenders, and everyone in the bar that was interviewed about it was really uncomfortable with it, and they were like, I don't want to be on film. What if you are acting like an asshole, or you're just like going crazy at a bar? You want your mom like tuning into the bar, like keeping tabs on you? Or your husband, like your bachelorette party, like going having fun. It just seems so invasive to me. Yeah, and a lot of the times they probably don't even post that they're filming their their customers because that in and of itself makes people not want to act a certain way. So they're you know a lot of these bars are violating your rights by not telling you they're filming you, but. You know, nowadays, I guess you should just be expected. You know, it seems like, you know, more and more you're you're expected to be okay with being filmed no matter where you go in public. And um, it's just increasing over time. Um, I don't see that diminishing over time. Yeah, no, it's definitely getting more expansive. <clears throat> what were you just telling me about the guy who was arrested because the cop entered his home? Oh, yeah, it kind of goes along with 
just uh, the Patriot Act, but I mean, this probably would have even happened, you know, outside of the area era of the Patriot Act. Corey May in Mississippi, he was uh, he was sleeping at home one night in his bed, um, and his eight year old daughter was in the other room, and he heard someone coming into his apartment uh, into his duplex. So based on a fight or flight instinct he had he was armed he fired three shots in the direction of of who he thought was coming in he he thought he was being robbed um and he ended up shooting a sheriff who ended up being the son of of like the head of the sheriff's department in this town um he was convicted of of uh first degree murder and sentenced to the death penalty in Mississippi. Jesus Christ. Uh, but it brings up a lot of issues. Um, the police did not announce their police officers when they came in. They did not knock. It was based on a tip that they got from someone that his location, that Corey May's apartment, um, was used for dealing drugs and manufacturing drugs. And it took an article by Reason Magazine to, to um, actually generate enough publicity about this for him to get an appeal uh, for his case. So he's still going through an appeals process right now, but I don't know. It just brings up a lot of issues having to do with privacy. I mean, what, you know, should the cops have the right to, you know, they call it no-knock searches where, you know, they're allowed to search your premises without you even knowing about it. Those kind of things. So we just kind of wanted to end the show today in response to a couple emails I've gotten from people who say that they really like the show, they really like everything we're talking about, but they feel really disempowered and they don't know what to do about the information that they're receiving. And they just feel really downtrodden. And I find it really thrilling to discuss this information and to do what I'm doing with Media Roots. And I find Media Roots a great tool for my research just to have this giant archival base where you can do investigative research and and report from. Um, But to me, I mean, information is so empowering in itself and the ability to communicate these issues. If we don't communicate about things like politics and religion, like we're conditioned not to (laughs) during our childhood, then we're never going to progress or evolve as a society and you need to discuss these issues you can't keep them inside i know it's difficult sometimes to talk to your family and friends about things that you're feeling or things that are going on but we really need to push past that cultural barrier and just that conditioning of how we're supposed to keep all this to ourselves and just kind of trust the establishment and what they're telling us and move on because we really are a part of a global community and we're all connected and this impacts every single one of us when any one of our brothers and sisters are dying around the world at the hands of our government and our military. So, um, you know, I urge you, please definitely inform yourself. It's, it's an enlightening experience to have this intake of information and, and keep yourself updated on current events that are going on and to reach out to people, get involved in your community, start taking resources back in your own hands. Like just learn how to garden, <clears throat> learn about the plants around you, learn about how to sustain yourself, feed yourself, build an organic garden in your home. Um, these are some tools that will really empower yourself and your family and you can wean yourself away from supporting companies like Monsanto. You can support your local farmers markets and get involved in, in that. I really am a big fan of farmers markets and I try to support them whenever I can. Um, support your community businesses. I rarely shop at corporate businesses unless I 
unless there's really no other choice. Um, but Oakland's a really great place, and the Bay Area is a great place for a lot of mom and pop stores. And there's a really thriving community um, that supports the arts and supports local businesses here. And I really love being a part of that. And just do that all you can. Um, and also, meetup.com is a great tool if you want to get involved with like minds who share your same philosophical beliefs. Um, communication is really the tool, though. So it's really all about reaching out, communicating with your community, and, and getting that spirit going. Because um, we can't be isolated in this struggle, and we need to, <clears throat> we, we have each other, and we need to reach out to each other. One more thing, and this might be obvious to some people, but I really urge everyone to not join the military either. Um, there are other options out there, and it's just going to feed into this system, and the military really doesn't care about its service people, and that's blatantly obvious <laughs> time and time again. And just there are definitely other options out there, and if you're thinking about joining the military, I just urge you to please reconsider and just try to seek other alternatives because there's definitely alternatives to that. Um, find what you're good at. Everyone has an artistic element of their personality and expressing that is really important. And I think it's really important for people to pursue their passion. So yeah, just please be artistic, be passionate and follow your heart and whatever you, you got going on. And, uh, in regards to the reaching out to your community, um, when I think of the word community, I think of something as like a an, an idealized thing that in a lot of people's minds that doesn't really, it's hard to reach out to your community, especially in places like, you know, you know, over here where there's so many different opinions and things like that. I encourage people to think of their community as, you know, just their peer groups or their, mm-hmm. or their group of friends or people that they know around them. And, um, you know, even just, you know, starting something of your own in a small microcosm like a group of friends, um, you know, is a is a positive thing. Um, if you're a musician or an artist, start your own collective of, of artists or start your own record label or... And if you're a fan of independent music or art, support these artists. Um, you know, a lot of them barely make any money whatsoever support support the music around you support independent musicians um people who aren't you know just chasing the corporate dollar don't just fire up pandora and um <laughs> and things like that and you know forget who's actually making this music and where they come from and you know things like that you know i just wanted to add really quickly that a lot of people have asked me how how is media roots going to compete with like all these online you know you're just you're just a needle in a haystack and what are you trying to do and what is media roots trying to do that's different how are you trying to set yourself apart and it's like you know i don't i'm not really even thinking about that i'm not trying to have media roots be the next huff um, i'm just building a base of information and reaching out to people that i think are really important and trying to incorporate voices that i feel like don't get reported on enough and just providing that space um, that collaborative energy to my peers, to people that I can provide that to and who appreciate that and get something from that knowledge is satisfying to me. And that's all I ever really hope to do with Media Roots. I don't care if I'm ever famous. I don't care if Media Roots ever takes off and becomes huge. Um, it would be great to be able to sustain it at least on a monthly basis with the, the costs and for my time. But <clears throat> I don't ever expect it to get bigger than that. And I think people will realize that if they 
start putting their energy into something that makes them feel good and feel like they're doing something positive, then that really is what life is about when you can put something and put your energy into something that's bigger than yourself and to pursue that passion. Um, and that is self-fulfillment. And that is a beautiful thing. And you don't need to expect fame or to expect some sort of big payoff. The payoff is just that self-fulfillment and following your, your passion and your love. Jack, 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 Jack,